Today's passage is going to be Luke chapter 8, 5 through 15. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it, and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And when the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while. But in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. This is God's word. You may be seated. that. Okay, hello. Good to see you guys this morning. So uh, <clears throat> thanks Gavin for, for the reading and uh, Jake for the announcements. Um, so um, as you're hearing the passage today, uh, this is a very familiar passage when uh, talking about evangelism and spreading the gospel. Uh, I cannot deny that. It definitely is about that. <laughs> But I'm going to take a little different tack with it because there's also a message in here about maturity that's really important. And that's what we're going to focus on today. You might see that beautiful, luscious uh, orange tree behind me there. And uh, I think we want to be people who bear fruit and who are mature. So let's talk about that this morning. But first I want to share a story with you guys. It's a, a story of a child that was born into a family uh, yet, in some ways, not born into a family. I mean, how does that work? You're either born or not, right? But he was born into a family, but he never really was cared much for like he was in a family. Kind of more like an orphan, I guess, in a sense. He would eat meals with his family, but no one ever really spent that much time with him. His mom or dad never really spent that much time with him uh, on an individual basis to teach him or communicate with him. He was known by his family. It's hard to say he was really deeply loved by them. After a few, few years of realizing this must be how it is in a family, he just kind of said, okay, I guess this is it. <laughs> and what am I going to do? I mean, it, it was a big family, so there were times where he got to spend some time with some of his siblings, 
Um, and that made him feel better for a little bit. But he still just had this nagging sense of not really knowing what it felt like to be inside the family and cared for and being a person who could care for others. Um, eventually, um, somehow in this sad kind of an environment, he did grow up. I mean, it does happen, right? Um, <clears throat> we physically, if we keep eating food, etc., we will eventually physically grow up. And that's what happened to this guy. Um, he grew up physically, although he never really grew up emotionally or socially, and that's the way he entered adulthood. And so, right now, I know you're looking at looking at me and saying, "Poor Clem." <laughs> I, I I just can't believe what God's done in his life. But wow, what a crappy upbringing. Well, this is not me. So let me get that clear. Um, that's not me. I do have my own story to tell. I'd be glad to share with you at some point, but that's this particular story is not my story. I have a different story. So who is a sad individual? Um, certainly, I wouldn't want to call out by name somebody and say, oh, okay, this is your story um, that somebody had shared with me, but um, it is a sad story, right? This person basically had very little control over the circumstances of their lives, of their life, um, and I'd... I'd think you probably would agree with me. It's a pretty sad state of affairs, right? To be in a family but kind of feel like you are not. Um, so whose story is this? Well, it's the story of thousands and thousands of American Christians. Born again by the Holy Spirit, given a new nature and victory over sin and death, having genuinely put their faith in Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit and sealed by Him forever, they may have been attended to with some care as young believers when they initially came to Christ, maybe even invested in for a period of time. Um, given the basics of the faith, perhaps, that's not even a guarantee, right? Uh, then basically told, well, just show up at church a couple times a week, get fed, and um, you know, hear the Bible taught, basically, and occasionally receive a hello or engage in a conversation with somebody. Granted, there are some children who really thrive in deprived circumstances, right? We've probably heard those stories. Just the, the kid that kind of like comes out of nowhere out of, out of deprivation and they do amazing things. That can happen. Um, they're go-getters. They get involved in ways that are available to them. But for those kids, there's always a level of grace that they never really get to discover because no one ever really spent the time with them to teach, care for them, and help them through the trials and tribulations of growing to maturity. Because, I mean, not even talking spiritually, getting to maturity can be hard. <laughs> and it has trials and tribulations attached to it. Definitely, growing up in the faith has trials and tribulations attached to it. In fact, these individuals may look like adults on the outside, but they're really still infants. Maybe middle schoolers, teenagers, perhaps. Okay? And perhaps as we hear this, we think, well, sure, you know, I know it's not great. It's not always 100% awesome or it's not ideal in the church. Things could be better, but hey, we're all going to heaven, so it's all going to be okay, right? It's all okay in the end, right? We, we tend to look at things that way. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. If we settle for this version of raising children in the church, Christians in the church, we're failing, if we settle for that version of raising Christians, we are failing. 
we're in disobedience to the Lord, and we aren't really loving our brothers and sisters in Christ very well. And if you think about the example that I gave here, uh, would anybody really say that raising a child in that way is like exemplary or even mildly good? Like, yeah, that kid was raised right. You know, would anybody really think that? Um, perhaps you're even, um, you know, a, fam a kid right, being raised in that kind of family with very little personal attention or time spent with them by anybody that much. Yeah, how great is that, really? You know, perhaps you're thinking of a word uh, beginning with the letter D that would describe a situation like that. And I'm not thinking of the word dreamy or delightful either. It's a dysfunctional situation. <laughs> um, God is all about maturity. He talks about it in terms of our growing into mature members of the family of God. And he has called us to raise mature Christian children. Children who can make an impact on the world. Children who can pursue God with all their hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And who will learn how to love their neighbors as themselves. And you think about that. To become somebody who pursues God with everything you've got. And loves your neighbor as yourself. Don't you need some support and guidance and exhortation and somebody speaking some truth and love to you. <laughs> it's impossible. I mean, you need the Holy Spirit, but you also need some people around you who are going to be vessels of the Holy Spirit and teachers of God's word to your heart. There's another way that the Bible talks about maturity. <clears throat> it has to do with plant life. That analogy is all over the Bible. You know, farming, tending a vineyard, being a gardener, um, I remember my dad would work up a little plot in the, our backyard, and we lived in the city of Dayton, so it wasn't a very big plot. But we did a little bit of gardening. I can't say I'm a pro at it, but, you know, I know, understand the basic principles of it, right? And you want things to come to fruitfulness when you have a garden or a tree, that beautiful orange tree that was at the beginning of my, my uh, PowerPoint today. Fruitfulness is a sign of maturity. Now, I'll add this. I think you can begin to be fruitful as a believer, I mean, almost within minutes. <laughs> you can be somebody who, you know what, I just accepted Christ. You want to accept Christ? I've seen people like that, right? I remember even in my early days of becoming a Christian, I was talking to everybody I knew, and I was like, was I a mature believer at that point? No, <laughs> I definitely was not. But God, in his grace, still used me to speak into the lives of other people. So you can start to bear fruit, but the, the parable of the sower, and this is where we're going with the parable of the sower today and other passages, is we want to get to the place where we're mature plants because what does the mature plant produce? 30, 60, or 100-fold more than what was planted, right? And what does even Jesus say in John 15? I want you to bear fruit and fruit that will last. I was talking to Chuck Clevenger before the first service about this, and he's got a daughter and son-in-law who are serving with, I think it's the Navajo in Arizona right now. He, by the power of God, that family is being used by God amongst those people to do something that's going to bear fruit, hopefully for generations. But it takes time. It takes personal attention. It takes investment as a family of God on mission. So, maturity. Um, <clears throat> John 15, 16, I mentioned this already. 
Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. What is fruit? Good question. I know at least three broad categories that are in the New Testament. There's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Character change, right? Love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. That's fruit. It's called fruit, so I can, I, I'm can, real confident on that one. Um, and then uh, also our investment in others, our love of others and being loved by others, the carrying out of the one another commands. That's fruit. And of course, evangelism and discipleship. Our care for those who respond to the message of Jesus and those who yet have not heard of him or responded to him. Our, inve- our involvement in the world, you know. The Great Commission. Ultimately, all of it can be summed up in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. You'll notice in verse 17, what does it say at the end? This is the key to all fruit. Love one another. Love each other. So last week, Justin, um, and by the way, he and I did not confer in case you think that, oh, wow, this is a great one-two punch. No, that was Holy Spirit that did that. I just need to give him the credit. But last week, Justin talked about there being two pedals on the new community bike. And he said that, uh, and I like that analogy, there's not really a a biblical analogy of bicycles. I I don't know if they had bicycles back then. I have no idea. But but it's still a good analogy for us, if we could go to that slide. (coughs) But... um, in the Bible, uh, or we have the gathering, which is one of those pedals. And it's a time, as he described, where we're reminded of the truths of God and the gospel and who you are because of what God has done. We need to be reminded of that stuff all the time. I, I need to be, re- be reminded of it daily, that I'm a loved child of God, not just an orphan trying to figure out things by myself. Uh, This time on Sunday mornings is a time for refueling so you can get back out into the world. Hopefully it's a time of connecting too as you see people that you're in community with or whatever, people that you've invited and they've decided to come this weekend or whatever it is or just meeting somebody new who's also a member of this body. Well, if you have one pedal on a bike, you're not going to get very far. I think we all pretty much know that. Um... It's not going to be very efficient. In fact, you might call one pedal bike by that D word that I mentioned earlier. That's kind of a dysfunctional bike. Um, I know some of you guys are still in college. Um, I know that as a college person, uh, sometimes you end up using things that are not in great condition. I can't remember ever seeing somebody try to get around campus on a one pedal bike, however. Um, Don't try that, please. Um, <clears throat> or if you do, you know, I'll try to pick you up and bandage you. But, um, but we don't have to live that way. We've got two pedals to the bike. We've got these times, but we've also got house churches. And uh, as he said, the gathering is a time of reminding and refueling. And the house church is a time of being equipped and growing and being loved and loving. And honestly, I would also say it's this. The house church, we have what we call a time of worship here. House church is worship also. 
Because in Romans 12:1, Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. And what's one key way that we can offer ourselves as a service of worship to the Lord? Loving other faulty, sinful, saved people. <laughs> yeah. Maturity is a big deal to God. What is it going to take to get there? It's more than a Bible study or one or two gatherings is going to supply. It's going to take being rooted in Jesus, right? And this is what Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. That's also in John 15. It takes abiding with Christ, but it doesn't just take abiding with Christ by yourself. I don't know if you've never noticed that, to go back to plant life for a minute. Most fruit-bearing plants are usually in groves or greenhouses or in fields where there's a lot of other ones together growing. This is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be abiding in Christ together. We tend to look at these messages from Jesus in the, in the Gospels or through the letters in the New Testament, and we tend to think of them individually. These are messages that are spoken to you all. You all should be abiding in Christ together. So, we want to be people who are a part of a family of God, learning and being changed by the truths of God, carrying out the commands of God so that we can become men and women of God. That's going to happen as we pedal both sides of that bike and as we're participating in the larger expression of the body of Christ and as we're part of a smaller expression of it, which we call house churches that are on mission together, learning to love and care about those that don't know him. So... <clears throat> How are we going to bear fruit? I want to go back to the parable of the sower for a minute. It is a very familiar parable. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's one of the longest stories that Jesus tells. It talks about the fact that there's some soil that's, uh, or there's seed that's thrown on hard ground, right? Hard path. Who, what can grow on that, right? Birds are going to come and eat that stuff up instantly. So if, something, if you're going to grow something on hard ground, what do you got to do with it? You got to rototill that ground. <laughs> you got to dig it up. Whatever you, whatever you have, you have to dig it up. You got to work it. You have to prep it. Hard ground needs to be prepped before it can bear fruit, before it can take seed and, and have something that can grow on it. And then it talks about the ground that's rocky. And... Uh, what are you going to do to get rocky ground to, to grow something? You've got to dig out the rocks. <laughs> that takes time. It takes energy. And then you've got the ground that's just covered with thorns, covered with weeds, right? If that's going to bear anything, somebody's going to have to get in there and dig some of that stuff out. But then we've got the one that's noble and good, and it's all ready to roll, Right? And it bears a crop that's 30, 60, or 100 times more than what was planted. I look at this passage, and maybe for you, I know for most of my Christian life, I've looked at the parable of the sower, and I'm like, well, you're just hard ground, and they're going to stay hard ground, so just don't even spend any time over there. Or that person's just thorny, man. <laughs> 
They are choked out by life's worries and the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this world. Nothing's going to happen over there. First of all, that's so unbelieving of me, of the power of God. So I have to repent before the Lord. Second of all, it doesn't indicate anything of what God can do in a person's life if I'm willing to be used by him along with others to be at work to love and care for somebody. Because I look at my own life and I can still say I'm pretty thorny (laughs) in some ways. And I've got some weeds and I need some people that will pull those weeds and make some observations about things to me and that can be hard to hear and it can be painful but to become a mature plant that bears fruit that's the environment I need to be in I I don't see any other way we've all got our thorns and rocks and things in us I have to be honest with you I don't know if I've ever met a completely noble pure heart someday I will when I meet Jesus so we need to be an environment a family environment of people that are not perfectly (laughs) maybe not doing so great sometimes but at least attempting to be faithful and obedient to the call of God to love one another and to do it together on mission to a lost world a lost neighborhood, a lost whatever, workplace. So it says here that, um, yeah. So this is what it's going to take. And if you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, definitely I understand all that for the rocky, the hard, etc. It says even the, the noble ground, the good ground, by persevering, it bears fruit. I need to be a part of a family of faith that's going to spur me on and keep me going because even if I am in that noble heart category and I leave that to God, I have no idea. But if I would happen to be in that category, I still need people to be around me to keep me going the right direction because guess what? Trials come. Hardships come that just make you want to stop in your tracks and say, forget it. We need people around us to help us persevere so we can bear fruit that last. We need the family of God. Like I said, as imperfectly as we can try sometimes, but at least trying by the power of the Spirit to live right on mission together. So how do we get to maturity? It does talk about the fact that we have the heart that's, that's uh, receptive to the word. It's a good and noble heart. And I would say that's probably a heart that's not skeptical of the truth. It doesn't stand in judgment of the truth. It doesn't say, eh, I don't know. I think of the Bereans in the book of Acts. They're a great example, right? Said they were of noble character. They're willing to believe, but they also want to see what God's word says otherwise. And they were received what God had to say through Paul. And they they did believe in Jesus. And it says they also retain, so you hold on to that word. And you're transformed by it. 
And then they also learn how to hold on to that truth in the face of trials. That's one of the hardest things, right? We can receive the promises of God. We can even hear them right now, this morning, hear the promises of God and say, yes, yes, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. But then when the trial hits, are we still saying, I believe even though this is painful? I believe God is good. And I believe that he can turn this situation into good for me, even though I cannot see it right now. Perseverance is what produces fruit. But then the Bible talks about one other factor, and this is a very familiar passage for us in Ephesians 4. We want to look at that. So it says in Ephesians 4 that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then it says we will no longer be infants. Notice here's that maturity language again, right? Infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people. Have you ever noticed that? With This is like one of my fun things to do with little kids is to tell them some outrageous thing, not in a malicious way, but, you know, and they're like, did you realize that the, that the sun is actually a gigantic orange? And, you know, spread that around anybody, you know. They're gullible, right? We don't want to stay in infancy as believers, that's a bad place to be. We need to grow into maturity. And it says, um, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, notice plural, grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God gave us leadership, to equip the church for works of service. Not just to feed, although that's definitely a part of it. We need to be fed by God's word. We also need to be feeding ourselves, right? But also equipping and calling on people to obey. And in fact, that's partly what I'm doing for you today. I'm calling you to obey the call of God on your life to get invested in a family of God that is trying to carry out the commands of God in this world and with each other. Um, <clears throat> and it says, as we do these things, we'll have unity in the faith, we'll have knowledge of the Son of God, and maturity attaining to the whole fullness of Christ. In addition to our service, we will learn to speak truth and love to one another so that we grow into maturity as the body of Jesus on earth. Jesus physically isn't here anymore. He will be again until that day we're it. We are the body of Jesus. And as it says in verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the every person discipleship ministry of the church. Life on mission, life in community, life on life individually one-on-one -on -one, investing in one another in discipleship in small groups doing discipleship as a house church 
discipling one another, discipling all around. So now we're at this uh, really important part of the teaching um, where we want to get a picture of what it looks like to be growing and maturing into fruit-bearing people for the, for the gospel. And I want to introduce you now to the montage, 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 of maturity. I had to build that up a little bit. All right. The montage of maturity. These are snapshots, right, of what it can be like to be in a family that's trying to do this. And there's a lot of things going on here, right? I know as Christians, and I know some of you are uh, in a college environment or maybe even came out of a college environment or church environment where an individual time with God in the Word has been stressed. I would say keep doing that. Keep having individual times of prayer with God. Keep doing that. But I'd like to add to this we're meant to grow in our knowledge and transformation in the Word together. Study the Word with other people. Memorize it. Speak to one another with it. Get it into your heads. Move it down to your hearts. Pray together. Pray together as Married couples pray together in discipleship, pray together in small groups, pray together on the fly. We use an app called Telegram in our house church. I write prayers on Telegram, do text prayers, whatever it is, pray as a family of God. Um, service and ministry. Definitely we could go out as, as individuals and do that. God is wanting us to go out together and do that. We need fellowship with one another and all the rhythms of life. Yeah, there's going out to a house church and that's important and if that's where you're at and that's where you're starting, then do that. Get committed to that. Be faithful to that week, week in, week out. But it's so much more than that. It's supposed to be all of life together going through the hardships, going through the positives, going through the ups, going through the downs. And like I said, it can be imperfect and it can be painful, which I'm gonna talk about that in a few minutes. But it's good. Ultimately, it's good. Celebrating, recreating, whatever it is. All, all the things that we just do in life, bringing other people into that. Yeah, as a part of a family that's on mission together. Um, it's learning the truths about God's grace and having people affirm those truths to us. It's not just being a receiver of God's word, but it's being a teacher of somebody else. Um, and maybe as you're thinking teacher, you're thinking, oh my goodness, there's no way I could teach up there on a Sunday morning. I hope he's not asking me to do that. No, not really. Well, definitely not a house church teaching. I'm not going to do that either. That's too much. I'm not even asking that. But Hebrews 5 says, 
By this time, you should be teachers of others. But instead, you need to be taught the basics of the faith again. We should all at least be able to teach one other person the truths of God about following God and help each other to keep moving together towards God. It's sacrificial service consistently, regularly provided to the church and others and consistently and regularly received. For some of us, our spiritual growth challenge is letting other people serve us. I actually think that's kind of an American thing. Oh, sure, we'll jump in and we'll rebuild your house or, you know, and honestly, that's awesome. I mean, Americans are amazing when it comes to, like, giving their money. I've, I've looked at this kind of stuff. Praise the Lord for the grace that he's given this country in many ways, and we can talk about other things about the U.S., but there's, there's been a tremendous spirit of volunteerism. But for us in the body of Christ... One way that he may be calling us to grow is actually receive service and ministry and even letting people know that we need it rather than, no, I'm just going to pull up my bootstraps, carry on. I'm not going to say anything to anybody. Forget it. It's letting people know that we have prayer needs, that we need prayer backup. It's not just, well, I'm going to pray about this and me and God, we're going to figure this out. It's like, you're not an orphan. You're not that kid at the, at the beginning that I was talking about. You don't have to live like that anymore. You've got family around you who want to come alongside of you and pray with you and walk you through whatever it is. It's confession of sin. And it's being affirmed in our identity by brothers and sisters as we confess that sin. And it's doing the same for others. It's knowing God's word so that we can actually not just receive it, keep it in ourselves, remind ourselves of it, which you should be doing, but also so you can teach somebody else it, exhort somebody, encourage each other, admonish, whatever it is. It's getting an encouraging text message from a brother or sister who's aware of the tough week you've had or the challenges you've faced, or maybe it's you sending that text message. It's learning how not to lean on your natural power to carry out the commands of God, but in humility and desperation, seeking God for the energy and asking your family to pray for you. I got not terribly ill, but I got a head cold on Wednesday, <clears throat> which, praise the Lord, you're not really hearing too much, maybe, except I'm a little groggy up here. That's normal. But anyway, um, but praise the Lord he's at least brought me to the point where I was realizing I need prayer support I need people backing me up and I was reaching out to our house church family about it and I was reaching out to brothers and sisters in the broader body about it and I know I was covered I'm not an orphan why would I try to carry that alone yeah Consistent, regular, all of life involvement with other members of God's family is going to break you of any notion that you can do anything in the name of the Lord on your own strength. And that's good. This kind of breaking is going to lead you to a greater abiding in Jesus, a deeper dependence on the Holy Spirit, and a greater reliance on the body of Christ. 
I would call it healthy interdependence. Maturity is so important. It was Apostle, the Apostle Paul's burning passion. You think about all the Apostle Paul did, and his name is like all over Western Europe, right, on churches and in America, right? All the great things he did, all the church planting, all the speaking before authorities. I'm getting some bad feedback here, but all the things that he did, amazing things. And, you know, speaking to the, uh, the judges and the rulers and going all the way to Rome. What does he say was the number one thing that he, that he was all in about no matter what? And he said it was raising people up to maturity. That's in this passage. It's in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. Think about those two words. He strenuously contended. Not against physical enemies, but against spiritual forces of evil. And he did have some physical, personal enemies, right? We know that. He talks about that. I strenuously contend. That's like I'm in a fight. I'm in a battle. I'm giving it all I've got. You see, read some of those stories in the Old Testament of people being at war, and it's like, that's what he's talking about. Strenuously contending. But what was he strenuously contending for? He strenuously contended with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in him to bring people to maturity. That's how important maturity is. We cannot let off the gas on this, folks. We all have got some place to go when it comes to maturity. But we're not meant to do it by ourselves. We never were because we're not orphans. We're children of God who've been placed in a family of God. We're meant to do it together. I want to give you a caveat because all that sounds great and you're like, oh, great, I need to be doing some more stuff here, right? Okay, let's face facts. I've been exhorting you to pursue maturity and offering you keys to the process, particularly Within the, life, within the life of a family of God. And this is where I want to go back to God's word for a second and talk about mature plant bearing or fruit bearing through a plant. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And one of the principal ways that God is going to call on you to take up your cross and follow him is in relationships. Paul writes this to the Philippians, doesn't he? In Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, that's the context of what he's going to say. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. And you may say, why would I voluntarily submit myself to that? And that's an excellent question. Even Jesus said, count the cost, right? You should. But I'm going to tell you why you should pursue it. Because this is the way of maturity and fruitfulness. There is no plan B. Not if you really want to get to maturity and the fruitfulness that comes from that. It's also the way to true joy, ultimately. In John 13, Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The word that's translated blessed is the Greek word makarios or makarios, which means happiness. It talks about the fact that true happiness comes from loving your brothers and sisters in sacrificial, practical ways in word and deed. If you think about it, where Jesus is trying to lead us is back to the garden with this command. And this is really banging around here. Sorry, guys. Here. I'm getting directions from the back. I apologize. I don't know what to do with it. Okay. It's okay. Well, just bear with me, please. Um, who is God? Our creator is what? He is a giving God. If we're made in his image, where are we meant to f find our design fulfillment? To use a little bit of engineering language. <laughs> By learning how to be givers. That's where ultimate joy is going to come from. Our whole world is leaning against that. No, you've got to figure out how to get people to give to you. That is the way of the world. Unfortunately, it's also been the way that we've seen in, in the church even at times. God wants us to be people who find our joy and satisfaction in following his example and living by his power to give. That's where real joy comes from. So what should you do in light of this teaching? I want to go back to the story for a minute. Maybe even as you heard that story, you said, yeah, it kind of sounds like my story, but I can't change the past. And that's true. The past is the past. That's written. But the future is still up for grabs. I do believe in free will. God gives us choices to make. Don't let Satan get you down that you're too far gone. As you hear this, you're maybe thinking, even if you're like, you've got two, two decades under your belt, you may even start to feel like, oh, I don't know, that stuff's pretty set in stone. I've learned what I've learned. How can I change now? Or three decades, or four, or six, or eight. I don't know where you're at. I need to tell you a story about a lady I know, knew, whose name is Jean. Jean came to faith in the Lord in her 70s. She was watching a Billy Graham crusade on television and decided to make a profession of faith. Before then, she'd really been a um, slave to anger and uh, hate. She'd been raised in that. Her own father was a pretty abusive man 
spent time in prison for attempted murder. She didn't come out of a great background. And, uh, but she came to the Lord. She repented of that anger and hate. Her eyes were open to it in a way that had never been before. And it happened in the context of community. She became a person whose smile could light up a room and who was able to make anybody feel welcome. That's my mom. It's not too late to pursue this way of life, folks. Okay. I got teary last time. I didn't think I'd get teary that time. Some other steps. You want to learn more about why this way of life actually comes directly from who God is. And this is a shameless plug, so just hang in there with me. I'm teaching that class beginning next, fr- uh, next Sunday, not Friday, sorry. Next Sunday, community room, 1215. We're going to have some lunch. There is a cost attached to it. Don't let that put you off. If that's really an issue for you, we'll talk about it. But it's actually to help us with some babysitting because we want couples to be able to come and enjoy this and learn from this. And it's five weeks. And you probably heard there's quizzes. Oh, my gosh, I don't want to get into that. That's Honestly, that is just for self-assessment and to help you understand that you're understanding. Yeah. If you're not in a house church and you're like, I think I need to go check that out, go to the welcome table. Sign up to get connected to one. I see Sarah's beautiful smiling face. She will get you all set up. She'll get you going on that. There's a new community, new to community group that's underway now. I think you could still hop on board with that if you wanted to. Okay, great way to kind of put your foot in and see what it feels like. If you want more information, come talk. You know, Jesus said we should count the cost of following him. I think that partly that's getting information. What does this really look like? I've tried to give you a picture here this morning. Come talk to me. Come talk to other elders, house church leaders. House church leaders, can you throw your hands up in the air? Any of you? Thank you. We got some here. One in the back. Awesome. Come talk to house church leaders. Honestly, you probably are sitting next to somebody that's in a house church. Or maybe you're like, oh, everybody around me is in a house church. Well, then I've got something new for you then. Because maybe you should be talking to those people who are also in a house church and say, how should we be going towards maturity in our house church? How can I become a person who is carrying out works of service in my house church family? What does that look like? Maybe I should start praying for my house church before I go to house church meetings, that God, through the Holy Spirit, will come and bless that meeting and that God can use me in that meeting to actually serve and care for somebody. Yeah, good steps. And maybe you are in a house church, and you're like, what do I do? I'd say pray, pray about it. But I also start talking to your house church leaders. If you're in a discipleship group, talk to them. What does it look like to go forward? What does it look like to mature right now? Maybe as you're hearing this, 
God is saying, I want you to go tend one of the immature plants in your house church that unless some rocks are taken out and some weeds are cared for and pulled, they aren't going to get there. Yeah, I'm talking discipleship, one-on-one. And maybe that's what God's calling on you and putting on your heart right now. So, Cedarville kids, I've got one for you. This is special to you guys, all right? I'm calling you out. Not in a mean way, positive. Um, I work at Cedarville. Uh, I work in marketing and communication, so I even write some of this stuff, okay? Um, Cedarville is all about getting you prepared to live for Christ in all aspects of life once you leave Cedarville. That's biblical, okay? But I know this from years of talking to people who have been involved in intervarsity ministry and crusade and lots of other types of ministry. Sometimes when you get out of those environments or a great school like Cedarville, which it is, what does it look like to actually be in a discipleship ministry once you're done with college? What does it look like to actually continue to serve in a gospel-focused way in the rest of life? I'm not saying we're doing it perfectly here. We have got a lot of issues, (laughs) okay? We have failings. We've got places where we've got gaps. But honestly, get connected because we're trying to do this with people from the cradle until Jesus comes back. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, who is competent for this? Lord, you only Lord, you only can help us to live out this kind of a life on mission with others as messy as that can be sometimes but Lord help us to trust you help us to sense your directions about this and help us to keep going help us to let people around us to encourage us and spur us on and help us to be those kind of people for others help us to keep loving our neighbors who don't know Christ yet but also allowing our brothers and sisters to be in prayer with us about them and also to meet them, to be doing it together, not by ourselves. Lord, we aren't orphans. We're beloved children of yours, and you've given us a great family. Broken, still in a lot of ways, but you have given us a family. Help us to pursue that by your power and with your grace. In Jesus' name.